2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. When I was a student, I... uh, used to drive across the United States from time to time to get to school. My family lived in Tennessee, my parents lived in Tennessee, and I went to school in Seattle, Washington. Those two places are a long ways away from each other, and uh, neither I nor my parents thought it was worth paying for plane tickets in those days. Plane tickets were more expensive in those days. So I would drive. I'd drive from Nashville to like, I think it was Kansas City. That took all day, took a whole day. And then the next day I'd get up and I'd drive from there to Denver, and that took a whole day. And then I would usually rest, I I had relatives in Denver, so I'd usually take a day or two and rest up. And then I'd drive from Denver to somewhere in who knows where, in, you know, typically it was like Twin Falls, Idaho, which you've probably never heard of. (laughs) Uh, It is, trust me, this is the middle of nowhere. And then from there on up to Seattle. And each of those legs took a whole day. One time, while I was in Denver, I thought, oh, I'll take the scenic route. That, what I just described from Denver to Twin Falls, Idaho, not the scenic route. You drive across southern Wyoming, and it is as flat as this floor and barren. It's one of the most boring roads in America. The other one is, goes across Kansas. Well, and there is one that goes across Nebraska, which I don't know if I've ever been on, but it's probably just as long, straight, and flat. It's like you want your car to have an autopilot. You know, like you could just set the cruise and go to, and lock the steering wheel and go to sleep for several hours. Well, so I decided I would take the scenic route. So instead of going across the southern part of Wyoming, I went diagonally across Wyoming. 
And then you get to this place called the Grand Tetons. Oh my goodness, the Grand Tetons. It is one of the most beautiful pieces of scenery. Even the Swiss would appreciate the Grand Tetons, the mountains. Uh, it is unbelievably beautiful. And also, after you get to the Grand Tetons, then you get to this place called Yellowstone which is one, also one of the most natural beauty, most amazing places in the world. So I thought, I'll, I'll go that way. Here's what I did not account for. I was going to get to the south gate of Yellowstone at about 9.20 in the, at night. <laughs> It was dark by the time I got to any scenery. <laughs> so this decision to take the scenic route wasn't that great of a decision. Then I'm driving through Yellowstone, and then I'm driving down from Yellowstone down into southern Montana. I, it's very difficult to describe how uh, solitary this road is. The road, first of all, from Denver across Wyoming diagonally, I went for, you know, 30 minutes and didn't see another car. And it's very lonely. It was a little bit spooky, frankly. So now it's night. And the road looks like that, which you can't even see. <laughs> Maybe you can see it a little. It's like a canyon of these giant trees on each side of the highway. These giant trees, they're like 100 feet high and solid. So you can't see that way. You can only see that way. So I am cruising. I'm the only person on this highway, and this too is a straight and pretty flat road. And I'm cruising along. I'm going 80 miles an hour. What's that in kilometers? 120, something like that. I'm cruising. And I have, I'm the only one out there, so I have my high beam headlights on. They are lighting up this tree canyon. And I am zooming down this road, and I have some kind of, probably uh, Boston playing on the tape deck. Now, it's possible you're too young to know what I mean when I say tape deck, but it's a thing we used to use to play music. Anyway, the, and you know, I'm, I'm pumped. I probably had about six gallons of coffee, and I'm cruising down this, you know, my little Honda Accord. And all of a sudden, I am in pitch blackness. My headlights went out. <laughs> and I am going 80. It's a good thing the road is straight. And I could not slow down fast enough. And of course, I could not proceed. And trust me, these trees, you know, you can see some starlight maybe if your eyesight's really good. I didn't think about how this slide would show up in the bright room, but 
uh, you could see some starlight, but it wasn't lighting up the road any. It was pretty scary. And so I stopped in as straight a line as I could stop. And, uh, you know, that was that. That's the end of the trip for now. Now, eventually, I figured out that all the radio blaring and the headlights on high beam for hours had just blown a fuse. I think I had to rig a, like a tinfoil fuse to get <laughs> Some things were melting in there, you know, it wasn't good. But I'm in the sticks. And this was in, you know, 1981 or something like that. There's no phone. Anyway, I did finally make it on my way. I just wanted to share that experience with you, though, to talk about what it means to lose light. You've probably had a similar experience where all of a sudden it was dark. I remember I went on this tour one time in the area around Tennessee and Kentucky. There's a lot of caves. A lot of caves are here in Bonaire, right? And if you go into a cave far enough, no light goes in there. You ever been on one of these tours? You go in there. Of course, they've got the place wired, so there's lights everywhere. It's like walking through a house. You go in, and this one tour I went on, one thing they did in the tour was in the middle, they turned off the lights. And you could not see your hand. I mean, there was no light in that space. It's an unnerving experience. And you certainly wouldn't want to try to walk around and find your way in those conditions. I saw a YouTube video recently. Uh, this guy who makes YouTube videos about scuba diving in interesting places, one of the things he likes to do is cave diving, which in my opinion makes him certifiably insane. But he uh, likes to cave dive, and this one cave dive he went on in this hole in Mexico someplace, he went down in there, and there's these fish. These little fish, you know. And they have lived in that cave for so long that they don't even have eyes. You could shine the light right in their face, they didn't, they didn't know. Maybe they could feel the heat. Hmm. What's it like to be deprived of light? Now, we're talking about this because we're talking about John chapter 12, where Jesus talks about, he uses this expression, while you have the light. While you have the light. And he announces here that you aren't going to have it forever. In fact, it's going away quite soon. But before we get there, we need to back up and kind of find our place in the story. You remember these guys came along, these Greeks, these Gentiles, and they said, we want to see Jesus. So Philip talks to Andrew, Andrew and Philip talk to Jesus, and they say, there's these Gentiles, they want to see you. And Jesus replies to that situation by saying, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless 
a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's talking about dying. All that happened was some Greeks wanted to see him. What? Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, you must follow me where I am there. It is hard to keep up with Jesus. Now, we've gone over all this already, so I'm not going to do it again, but he says, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I will glorify it. The crowd that stood there heard it. They said it thundered. Jesus said, this voice has not come for this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And he's still talking about his own death, which is critical to the glory of God in his life. The glorification of God in the life of Jesus is to die, to rise, and to ascend to the right hand of God. Well, anyway, <laughs> he says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now, that expression, all people, links us back to those, those Gentile guys. You remember, that's what started this whole interchange was these Gentiles came along, and I think that sparked something in the mind of Jesus to say, oh, it's time. How, how are Gentiles included? By the death of Christ. And he says, so when I'm lifted up, he's finally answering, how, how can the Messiah of Israel entertain Gentiles? He's finally coming to the answer to that question, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. He's not saying everyone like each and every human being. He's saying all people like people from all of everywhere, all kinds of people will be drawn to him in his death when I'm lifted up. Now, this causes a question. It says here, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. In other words, to be lifted up implies a cross. So the crowd answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? What Son of Man are you talking about? Who is this Son of Man, they say? Now, they use the expression Son of Man, which we have not seen in this text since Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And they all understand, oh, he means Messiah, 
and he's claiming that for himself and he, but now he's confused what do you mean the son of man is going to die that shouldn't be possible because the law and when they use the expression the law I think we have to say they're just using that as a an expression for the the scripture the Old Testament what we now call the Old Testament scripture they of course would not have called it the Old Testament <laughs> it's just the scripture and so they uh, we might look at I'm mean, just gonna there's a bunch of places where you might find something like that says the kingdom of Messiah is eternal, right? <coughs> we sing it in the song, His kingdom is forever. That's a quote from the Old Testament. Might be Isaiah, might be Ezekiel. There's a couple of places in Psalms where it just indicates that there's uh, an eternal aspect. So it's impossible for them to imagine how the Messiah would die. He's supposed to come, establish his kingdom, and that lasts forever. And here's how Jesus answers that question. What are you, what are you talking about, the Son of Man? The, the Messiah can't die? What? what? What kind of Messiah are you talking about? Here's how he answers that question. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. I am frustrated by that as a Bible student. How about you? It's like he didn't even hear the question. You ever ask a question and then somebody starts talking and they're not saying anything responsive to your question? It's a quite a frustrating experience. I think Jesus is intentionally frustrating these people, and perhaps me too. He says, this all this about the light. But this is the answer to the question. Remember, he said, now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, that's a kind of a light reference. And now he's saying, remember the light of the world. Now, the book of John, of course, has worked this from the very first page, you might remember, in chapter 1, the fourth verse, just after that preamble of, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Everything that's made was made by the Word. All that. The, right at the conclusion of that, it says this, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, light is an extremely important theme in the whole book of John. In verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And now, here in chapter 12, Jesus is announcing it's also 
departing from the world. It's coming in, and now it's going back. You remember all through the book of John, Jesus is always talking about the one who sent him. This idea of being sent. Sent, sent, returning. You see, this is kind of an answer to the question of this eternal Son of Man thing. He's, Jesus is correcting this misconception that uh, everyone had, that this was like a one-shot thing. And he's saying, you have the light, but it's not going to stick around forever here this time. In, in chapter 7, he said, I'm with you a little longer than I'm going to him who sent me. This is hard for these folks to understand. In chapter 8, we have the, the most blunt, I am, it's one of the seven I am's of the book of John, I am the light of the world. If we ask the question, who is Jesus? The answer is the light of the world, not a light of the world. The light of the world. And in chapter 9, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus is saying, the light is among you a little while longer. This also is an announcement of his death. He's saying, look, you might, have, you might think what you read in Isaiah says that the Messiah can't die, but it doesn't say that. doesn't say that. In fact, if you read the book of Isaiah carefully, you'd know that the Messiah must die. So he says, now you have this light, and he gives two things to do while you're in the light. While you have the light, two things. The first thing is walk. He says, walk while you have the light. And this is what my illustration about driving through the forest in the middle of the night was about. Drive while the light's shining, because when the light goes out, you stop. He says, lest the darkness overtake you. lest the darkness overtake you. And this word, overtake, I think we should take it as something like this, lest the darkness master you. The darkness is coming. How will I avoid being overtaken by it? The answer is, walk in the light while the light's here. Recognize Christ while he's here, and then when he's gone, the darkness will not overtake you. And this raised an interesting question to, in my mind. Who is present at Pentecost? He says, look, if you move now, you will not be overcome by the darkness when it comes. And it is about to come. 
Who's there when the Spirit comes? People who walked when Christ was present. That's who. People who were with him, believed him, trusted him, went with him, are the people who are sitting there. They are called in the book of Acts, disciples of Christ. They are the ones sitting in that room to whom the Spirit comes, out of whom the Spirit forms the church. You see, the darkness does not overtake them. We live in a dark world in the absence of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it does not overtake people who possess the Spirit of Christ. So he says, walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. People who did not heed this warning were not sitting there when the Spirit came. Now, of course, they might have come to belief in Christ at any time after that. They weren't there that day. And then he says this, trust the light while you have the light. so that you may become sons of light. Wow! Sons of light. Paul calls us the children of light in various epistles. What does it mean to be the sons of light, the children of light? Nothing other than what we talked about last time when we were talking about sharing in God's glory in Christ and by the Spirit. That what Christ is doing is restoring the image of God to the life of humanity, and he is catching us up into that eternal, glorifying relationship that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit in all eternity, and he is wrapping us into that, and in that we shine the glory of God. We are exhibits of his character in our fully redeemed state. And that is what the cross accomplishes when Jesus says, I will draw all people to myself. It is image bearing. It is imitation of Christ. It is, oh, imitation of Christ. Like when he said, if you serve me, you'll follow me, and then you'll be where I am, and where he's going is the cross. <laughs> Imitation of Christ in this life, in the here and now life. Here's what it is. Suffering for the love of others for the glory of God's grace. Exhibiting the love of God, the grace of God, the gospel of God in every way possible to anyone possible, whatever the price, even if it involves persecution. And I think the scripture indicates that normally it will. And in fact, what we are willing to endure for the glory of God's grace in the gospel glorifies God's grace in the gospel. So, imitators of Christ, sons of light. 
And this is presented to us here as a grand opportunity, not as something that will be imposed on us against our will, but something that if we had the slightest clue, we would beg for it. Trust the light while you have the light so that you may become sons of light, image bearers, imitators of Christ, glorified with Christ to the glory of the Father. This is exactly what Ephesians is talking about when it says that he saved us in Christ to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now this gets me out of the trouble, but it puts me in a lot of troubles. And the point isn't whether I get out of a trouble or not. The point is the glory of God's grace. Do you see that if Jesus is not who he says he is, if he is not the very living, eternal Son of God, willing to be your brother, then you should flee. You should get away as fast as possible. But if he is who he says he is, oh my goodness, <laughs> he'll have you. He will have you. Crazy. Me. He should not want me. Or you. Or any other person who has violated God's holiness as we all have. But he will. His love cannot be described. We trust the light while we have the light. We become sons of light. If I understand his love, I show his love. The extent to which I understand his love will be the extent to which I demonstrate his love to anyone else. If I'm failing to demonstrate his love to anyone else, I don't solve that problem by, ah, I'm going to do better. I solve that problem by focusing on how ridiculous, amazing, and good it is that he has loved me so. You know, there's a text in the Bible that says, where Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. It's that song where the kids, it's the, the passage the kids' song is about, hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. You're the light of the world, he says. You don't put a basket over that. You raise it up so that the whole room can be lit up. And he says this. It's in the context of, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are you when people... Do you wrong because of your connection to me? And then he says, you're the light of the world. Uh, I don't, this is not a change of subject.
He says, people will see your good works. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works. I'm like, all right, I love it when people see my good works. It's nice for people to see your good works. In fact, most of the good works I do are so that people will see it. Oh, but Jesus is not in favor of that, is he? Because what he says is they see your good works and glorify someone else. Your Father in heaven. They see your good works, but they don't give you the credit. Ah, what a jip. They see your good works and they glorify him. Which means there's something about the good works of a Christian acting actually in the spirit of God for the grace of God, for the glory of God, giving his life a sacrifice for the exhibition of God's love and grace. There's something about that that can only be God. And they say, when they see your good works, they go, oh, that must be God. So this isn't everyday good works. This isn't regular old good works. Because normally in the course of human events, when someone does good works, we glorify that person. Wow, what a good work he did. Thank you, what a wonderful thing he did. In this case, they glorify someone else, God, because the only accounting for the good works of this Christian is God. That's what he means when he says sons of light. You see, when we are connected to Christ, it is transforming. Walk while you have the light. Trust the light while you have the light. And then you won't be overcome by the darkness, and you will be sons of light. You will be the sort of person Jesus is. I do not do this by my determination to be obedient to the rules God has. I do not do this by my determination to do or say or be anything other than to rely on him, other than to recognize what he has done well, to recognize well what he has done. The focus of the Christian life, the source of power in the Christian life, the source of being a son of light, is focus on the light of Christ. Now, the strangest thing happens at the end of this story. <laughs> Did you read it? When Jesus had said these things, he departed. Now, could have just said that, and it'd just be part of the story. You know, no big deal. Okay, he was done talking, he, left, he went home. But then it says, and hid himself from them. We don't like to think of Jesus hiding himself from anyone, but that's what happened. And I think the point of this is, now, allow me to demonstrate what I'm talking about. 
He's not. He hides himself from them. He goes away. He's not available to them. You see, the next thing on the agenda of the glory of God in Christ is the cross. And Jesus is saying here, look, your time is nearly up to recognize. So, let me show you what I mean. And he goes away, and they can't see him. Now, all of this, you have the light a little while longer talk, gets me a little worried. How about you? Because, you know, Jesus left. <laughs> so what's the condition of the world today? Well, people became sons of light. Maybe you. But here's the condition. We read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The darkness is set in. Natural man is a sightless fish in a cave. Blind. You could shine the light in his eyes and he can't tell what it is. I can argue with someone, prove my case for the resurrection, for the word of God, for I can argue and argue and it can make it totally sensible. I have heard a person say, that makes total sense to me, but I am not going to believe it. What can I do with such a person? The, I, you know, sightless fish. We're the sons of light. We're the ones that have the candles in the cave. For heaven's sake, hold it up. It's that simple. And all that means is you're focused enough on Christ that you exhibit his kind of character in the world and you're happy to talk about how his great gospel. It's good news. Uh, good news is quite natural to share. If I don't share it, it's because I'm not really buying it myself. Darkness is set in. We're the sons of light. We bring the flashlights. Now, that passage we read in 2 Corinthians comes right after this text at the end of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. How did you and I become sons of light? Because Jesus was long gone before I came along. Apparently this can be passed around. But how? I'm going to read the end of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. To this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because 
Only through Christ is it taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there is freedom. How do I get free of this blindness problem? It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We are healed in our spiritual blindness by the Spirit of God himself. Or we never understand the gospel rightly and never actually trust it. If the Spirit of God does not work to somehow give eyes to the blind fish, I can argue with him all day long and he's not going to get it. It is my job to share it. And if I care about this person, I pray for God to do what only God can do, which is give him the eyes to see it. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this turns out to be a Pentecost sermon. It's the Spirit of God, the work of the Spirit in the heart of the believer and in the fellowship of the saints. You see, when the Spirit came that day, two things happened. He indwelled those who knew Christ so that they would not be overtaken by the darkness, but would become sons of light. And the Spirit came upon them aflame. And since that day, the Spirit has regenerated the hearts of those who believe so that they will believe, so that they will see. The second thing he did is form the body. We have one spirit. It's not I have a spirit, you have a different spirit. We all have the same spirit. And this is what, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, makes us the body of Christ. Some people think <laughs> we don't need this. It's just about me and the Lord. Well, I, you know, if it's you and the Lord, great. That's better than zero. But the love of Christ is demonstrated in the body of Christ in a way that it cannot be demonstrated anywhere else. So, we're sons of light. Jesus has departed from this earth. How's anyone see the light now? You and me bring it. I'd like you to think, how do you make it clear? How do you shine? How do you not put a cover on it? How do you lift it up? How do you make your presence the presence of Christ? And I'd like to suggest to you that there's lots of practical ways you might think about for that. Lots and lots, and think about them all. Think of anything and everything that might make the light more visible in your life. 
But also, don't forget, it doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from you. Focus your attention on Christ. This is always what the Spirit of God does. Here in the book of John, a little later on, he's going to say, the Spirit takes the things that belong to me and delivers them to you. Here's the way I think of it. I'm walking, following Jesus. Jesus is my focus. And then, you know, I see, uh, you know, a new car or something. Or a, anything. It could be anything. I'm so too easily distracted. I'm like, oh, wow, that's cool. Here's what the Spirit does. Over here, guy. Over here. You're losing your focus. When you lose your focus, the light gets a little dim. Keep focused. Keep focused. The Lord is managing all these, so don't get too bent up about it. The Lord is taking care of you. You are a child of the light. He's taking care of you. He'll see to it. Give some thought. What are some of the ways we who trust in Christ can provide the light to the people around us? Father, thank you for this love that you've shown to us, this grace. So good to us, Lord. <laughs> we can't really even think of it. Lord, all we can do is cast ourselves on you in view of your mercy and give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.